Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey fam, it's Kate. Surprise, surprise. We are in a season break for the heart of dating. However, we still have new episodes coming to you every week. And this episode is all about legalism and the culture of shooting. And this is a solo episode. It's, uh, I, I'm the only one talking, me, myself, and I. And I really share a lot of my story. And if you've read my book, you've probably read chapter three, Never Have I Ever. And in this chapter, I talk about my journey growing up in purity culture and just the shame that I went through that also led me to really bad situations in my life. And one thing that I learned was this concept of shoulding, okay, that people are shoulding on us and then we should on ourselves. Like you should do this or you shouldn't do that. And I realized how damaging this was for me and my journey and how much we still do this today. Now, I want to say really quickly, though, that I don't believe that all purity culture messaging is bad or wrong, even though I do believe it had some bad output, but I don't think actually at my core that all of the intentions of purity culture were bad. But, you know, one of my friends, Kathleen, says it like this. If you step on somebody's toes, you obviously probably didn't mean to step on them, but it still probably hurt the other person. And so therefore you still should probably apologize, right? It's not like you meant to step on their toes, but you did, it hurt them and you still want to apologize. So I don't believe that purity culture had bad intentions, but it did have some harmful results. And therefore we're trying to, you know, heal from all that these days. So anyway, if you also didn't know, I wrote a book called Thank You for Rejecting Me. If you're new to the podcast, if you didn't know that, I encourage you to go check it out. It did become a national bestseller, which is still so wild to me, but it's a book all about rejection and all sorts of different kinds of rejection that we face in life from abuse to cheating, to heartbreak, to self-rejections like body shame and self-hatred to even, you know, the, the shame that we may experience through our sexual nature. There's so many themes covered in this book that I think is so important to talk about and heal from before you really get married. I mean, it's really, really, really important. And so if you want to check out that book, you can find it wherever books are sold, but specifically on Amazon. Right now, I just want to tell you about a free guide that we have. It's called Are They the One Guide? This is such a popular guide and I just love it. And it's all about, hey, how do you know that this person is maybe for you or not? Like, what are signs that they may be for you? What are signs they may not be for you? Is there really such thing as the one? How do you figure all of this out? So if you've been in a relationship before and maybe not known how to decipher this, or maybe you are in a relationship now trying to figure it out, or maybe you just like, are single as a Pringle and you just want to know how to figure this out when the time comes, awesome. You can go to heartofdating.com forward slash resource forward slash the one and you can download this free resource to your email. Again, full F-R-E-E, free. We love to see it, right? Okay, guys, without further ado, here's this episode that I did solo a few years ago. I hope you enjoy it. Now, 
Now, the book Divine Sex by Jonathan Grant reveals some staggering stats on sex and the church. One stat being that 69% of single Christian evangelicals say that they have had sex with at least one person within the last year. So 69%, almost 70% of Christian evangelicals say that they have had sex with at least one person in the last year. While the church might be offering a plethora of purity culture teachings, there's clearly a gap between what evangelicals have been taught and what they're actually doing when it comes to their sex lives. Now, if you read my book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, which by the way is out right now and you can get it wherever books are sold. I'm so excited about it. But if you read my book and specifically chapter three, you'll learn that I fell smack dab into these statistics. I was actually deeply impacted by the I Kiss Dating Goodbye culture, and we're not going to hate on Josh Harris. He has renounced that book and so many things, and it's not his fault. It's just the echo and the ripple of effect from that book and so many things that that book and the purity culture movement did during that time. So I had a boyfriend at 16, and once our community found out that we were dating or were boyfriend and girlfriend, quote unquote, we then became encouraged to meet with the Bible leader. And at that point, once we were encouraged to meet with him, we had to then adhere or we were encouraged to adhere to a certain set of rules. And some of these rules included things like not sitting next to each other unless we had two pillows between us at all times or keeping our face 12 inches apart at all times while we were together, never using blankets, only on occasion holding hands, only dating in groups, like all of that. Okay. And I mean, literally this was written out for us. This was encouraged. We were encouraged to start going to premarital counseling at 16 in high school. All right. Now, as my story goes, my boyfriend and I at the time, we did not uphold those rules and boundaries. And we ended up having sex at 16. And I remember that night, it was traumatic for me. Like I afterwards just literally broke down crying, immediately felt so much shame. I can't believe we did this. How dare we? Like I just felt so much shame. Now, the day after this happened, I remember I met up with this guy and I was like, we need to figure this out. I handed him Every Young Man's Battle. I took my copy of Every Young Woman's Battle and I was like, we aren't leaving here until we figure out a plan of action because this must never happen ever again. Like, and we can't even tell anyone. I just felt so much fear of what people would think, honestly. And I was fearful of the shame we would feel from the church and from our community if they found out what had happened. And slowly over time, this shame continued to eat away at me and at my boyfriend at the time. My boyfriend and I were so pressured by purity teachings, we felt like, how could we possibly have gone to the Bible group leader and told him what we had done? It's kind of likely that if we had, we would have been met with all the ways we had broken the rules of this contract that we were supposed to sign with all the rules on it. And that would have just plunged us even deeper into a pool of shame. One of the worst things about purity and abstinent messaging can be legalism. And in essence, it's church leaders' way of what I call shooting on other people. So <laughs> yes, I said shooting. So shooting people into a certain prescribed form of action. So even though in my heart, in some ways I wanted to share what I was going through and wanted help and guidance, I felt too afraid because I anticipated responses such as, Kate, you should have stopped him. Kate, you should have had stricter boundaries. Kate, you should have put yourself in a less tempting situation. Kate, you shouldn't have worn that kind of clothing around him. Kate, you should have been stronger. 
y'all, just all the shoulding. It's like, you should do this and you should not do that. And this can turn into legalism. And while I understand like you want to, to lean people towards abstinence, there needs to be more grace, more compassion, more love, and a deeper rooted understanding of why we're adhering to abstinence in the first place. I say this in chapter three. Any kind of community that seeks to make people less than if they mess up in any capacity is lacking true love, compassion, mercy, and kindness, all staples of Jesus's character. What I've learned about all of this is that it isn't fair to be shamed into a certain way of believing. And that's what shoulding does. It makes you adhere to specific rules that are enforced by fear rather than by love and deeper understanding. One thing I wish I knew at the time was I actually have power and control over my life and I don't need people to shit on me. But I was too young and too naive to really know that at the time, right? I was only 16 and I was in a big formative year of my life. So what happened next? Because I was ashamed of my sexual desire and because I hid the sexual nature of my relationship with that boyfriend from pretty much everybody that we were around, a very deep seed of blame and shame started planting within me. And just like any seed, the shame-filled waters that continued to nourish that seed as it began to grow ended up becoming a destructive and powerful root, hence eliminating my ability to really see my sexual desire for what it was, which was beautiful and perfect and designed by God. The root of shame showed up in so many ways in my life. It actually led me to question my appearance around men. It made me feel really uncomfortable about my body. The shame also made me blame myself anytime I ended up going too far with a guy. And the shame also made me afraid to talk about any of the times I crossed boundaries with guys in the future. Eventually, this all led me to shame and blame myself so much that I ended up having a really traumatic sexual encounter years later in my life. And after that sexual traumatic encounter, the sexual assault, I felt like I couldn't share it with anyone. (sighs) So I kept it hidden and I pushed it down so much so that I ended up forgetting that it even happened. I just put it so far down into a box. Years after that sexual assault, there was somebody in my life that ended up asking me the question, have you been raped? And as soon as that question was asked by this person, I remember feeling my palms begin to sweat as past memories that I pushed down started to rise to the surface. And I felt overwhelmed. I didn't know the answer to the question. And I was like, I, I, I don't know. Have I been raped? I don't know. All right, y'all, let me tell you about something with all of the things last year that happened with our wedding and marriage prepping and all of that. uh, One thing I wasn't ready for was really combining everything in me and JJ's life from like finances to also healthcare options. Hello. I mean, I didn't even really think of that. So with JJ joining the Heart of Dating business and quitting his other job, I was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to find something with great features that covers him well, also covers me well, that's also affordable. What are we going to do? This is why I'm so glad we discovered Altrua HealthShare. 
Altura HealthShare is a membership of like-minded health-conscious people who share in each other's medical costs. They've got a built-in office specialist and urgent care visits. They have 24-7 telemedicine, counseling services, and huge discounts on vision, chiropractic, pharmacy, and more. And guess what? Altura HealthShare also has the country's first dental sharing membership called SmileShare, which P.S. I have used, and so has JJ, and we love it. It is super easy. Here's what I love. I have been using Altura now for a bit, and I go to the doctor, and you know, eventually I submit all the stuff. The bill comes back and it's usually pretty high, but then Altrua does its magic. Okay. And then a new bill comes to me and it's like 30 bucks or something really ridiculously small. And it is just so awesome. I'm like, how is this happening? This is just brilliant. I love it. Okay. So if you are a ministry worker or if you just don't have a great healthcare option or you want something that's affordable, I would definitely encourage you to check out Altrua and you can get a hundred dollars off your enrollment through Heart of Dating. All you got to do is go to myshare.org forward slash HOD. That's myshare.org forward slash HOD. I really hope you try it. We have just loved it. And I think you're really going to as well. In my heart of hearts, I think I knew the truth. But because of the legalistic messaging I had received in the purity culture movement and because I didn't have a place to really share my process and I felt so stuck in shame in all of those formative years, it was difficult to remove the blame for myself for even the sexual assault experience. At the forefront of my mind, all I could think of was this main message. Make sure to never make your fellow brother stumble. Basically, oh, that messaging, you guys, basically it indicates that, you know, it's a woman's job to mitigate all the lust of a male person. And since a man in the sexual assault experience had advanced upon me, I clearly did not do a good job of mitigating his lust. And it was on me, like me as the woman, I should have worn something different. I shouldn't have provoked him, you know, like I shouldn't have this, that, or the other. It's my job to mitigate and stop him from lusting. So this messaging, that toxic messaging, coupled with a feeling of a lack of safety to share my sexual past with just about anyone, led me to compartmentalizing the events of my sexual assault. And I started, I remember as I reflected, I remember in that moment after it happened, I, sh- I remember telling myself things like, well, Kate, you had been drinking. Um, it might, it must not count really because you knew him. So this doesn't really count as sexual assault. He was a friend of yours. I also told myself that it was just my fault, that I instigated it. Maybe he thought I really wanted it and maybe I did want it. I told myself things like that. I also told myself like, you should have been more responsible to not tempt him. It's on you. So after that sexual encounter, I convinced myself that really it was all my fault. And because of that, I just never shared it with a soul. I hid it down in that box until it came out years later. What makes me so sad about that is that I had been conditioned to blame myself for any minor temptation, any misleading thought, or any sexual act that I participated in. I also have been trained subconsciously that if a man stumbles, it was because I was tempting him. And because of all of that, I just kept it to myself. I didn't have the courage to share about it until actually a few years ago. Here's the thing. I'm not anti-abstinence at all. No, you guys, I'm not. In fact, I'm very much for abstinence because today I have a more grounded view of how God designed sex and why he wants us to abstain, why that is his design for us. But my question is for you, when we, when I'm bringing up these things, what's coming up for you? 
Do you feel any shame about your sexual desire? Do you feel any shame about your sexual history or even lack thereof? What is coming up for you? Do you feel disconnected from your body? Have you been functioning in the ways of abstinence just because the church has told you so? Or do you really, truly, and deeply understand why God designs us for abstinence or why that is best for us in in our design as a single person? Today, I want to invite you into going into those layers. I think oftentimes we put any sort of sexual sin onto a pedestal. You know, somebody sins sexually and we're like, we got to remove them from the volunteer team. And they, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. They had sex with their boyfriend. And we put that sin on a pedestal compared to anything else. We don't do that for people who are gossiping or lying or, you know, anything like that. We just do it mainly for sexual sin. And this just isn't right. That's not how God sees it. I am not about having sex before marriage. I'm not encouraging that here, but I do want to encourage you. If you have a knee-jerk reaction to somebody talking about their sexual history, if it's because you're immediately judging them, then that needs to be looked into. What's going on in your heart? If for you, you feel a lot of shame about your sexual history, let's dive into that with curiosity and compassion. If you feel disconnected to your body for any reason, or if you just have a temptation in your mind and immediately when that temptation comes, you're like, you shouldn't have that temptation. That's bad. You shouldn't be even thinking that. This needs to be analyzed because it's not the thought that is bad. It's acting upon it. God looks at our heart. And so it's not the thought that's bad. You could have a tempting thought, but it's if you act upon it, you know? So it's what you're doing with that thought. But too often we're so conditioned into the shooting, you know, because of other people shooting us, that then we start shooting ourselves or shooting our partners. So friend, today I just want to invite you into a, a place and a space of curiosity and compassion. And if you recognize shame coming up for you, if you recognize a disconnect, if you recognize that your knee-jerk reaction is to judge somebody else based on their sexual decisions or sexual past, then I just want to invite you to get on a journey with God to add more compassion and love because that's what he designed us for. He designed us to see this for the beauty that it is, our sexual bodies and our beings as beautiful. He designed it. You guys don't don't think he didn't create our bodies knowing that like these are beautiful parts of our bodies, you know, and he wants us to be connected to those things. And he knows that connecting to those things outside of the covenant of marriage could be detrimental for us in some ways. But how can we come to a holistic experience of understanding that so that when we are tempted and we are dating, we are tempted, you know, into physical crossing our sexual boundaries, we have a grounded understanding in those moments to stand true to what we really believe. And then if we do make any sort of mistake, we can have grace and compassion and pick ourselves up again and redirect, right? Instead of shooting ourselves, because I'm telling you, making a sexual mistake and then shooting yourself is not going to help you actually change that behavior in your life. It really isn't going to. I've tried that many times. The shame always leads me into actually continuing to do the very thing I'm trying to get away from. And so in order to really combat this, you need to have a deeply connected, gracious, compassionate, loving understanding of your sexual desire. I don't want to tell you what your physical boundaries or sexual boundaries should be. I want you to talk to God about those. I want you to talk to God about your sexuality and your sexual desire, and I want you to see it in a beautiful way. So that's my invitation for you today. 
If you want to learn more about this and see how I've deconstructed my own sexuality in order to rebuild it, I talk about that in chapter three of my book. Thank you for rejecting me. And today I just want to invite you to come on that journey with me and buy my book. You can buy it wherever books are sold. It's available right now. And if it touches you in any way, I want to encourage you to leave a review because honestly, y'all, that helps me so much as a first time author. I'm just so honored to get to walk in this with you. I know that this topic of sexuality and sexual desire is not easy. I know it and I am walking that out with you and I do not always do it perfectly, let me tell you. But I'm so glad, friends, that we can link arms and be on this journey and have compassion and love and grace and true understanding for one another. All right, guys, that's it for today. I'm so thankful for you and I will see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.